0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and then we'll be going over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 starting with verse 23 this morning And, and today we're going to be looking at the next thing in this passage in Acts 2 verse 42 after the church was founded the new believers immediately were, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and this morning we're going to be looking at this, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, to break, breaking of bread. That is where what our focus will be today. And, of course, that's talking about the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we look at this passage and as we consider how the beginning of the church, how these very important things were established right there and then are to be continued throughout all of church history. I pray, Lord, that we would be also faithful to them but I pray, Lord, we would be faithful with a greater understanding that we would always be growing in our understanding that, Lord, you would always be filling in the blanks that of things that we didn't know before, but we are now growing in and knowing because we're in the word of God, we're listening, we're putting uh, all these things together, and Lord, it's developing us uh, our faith stronger, especially in you, Lord, for we know that we have been saved to worship you. That's why we were saved, and that worship will continue forever. So Lord, let us get good at it, and let us practice it. So, Lord, we understand it and know what we're supposed to do. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so from this passage of Scripture, we see already that uh, you are definitely different after coming to Christ and becoming a real Christian, not just in word, but in deed, in thought, in action, in words, your your God is transforming us in Christ, and He's doing that in the context of the body, that we are found together with one another because we believe the same message about Jesus Christ. So that real indicator of real divine life in the soul is that these people, all Christians, will desire and devote themselves to the teaching from the Word of God. And, of course, that teacher teaching is expanded by the apostles. That's why it's talking about apostolic teaching. And then, of course, a second thing that I dealt with already is fellowship and all that entails. And this morning, a third thing is the desire to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. Now, in the original language, the Greek, and of course here, it does say the, the definite article tells us that it's not just merely talking about a meal together, but it is talking about part of worship, that this act became and is significant, a significant part of worship for these new believers, for the beginning of the church, and for the rest of church history of anyone who would call themselves a believer from that time on. And so we should be eagerly desiring to participate in the Lord's Supper together. Now, of course, we're not going to have it today. We had it last week. But this is just instruction about it. So when it does come up the first of every month, and usually when there's a holiday in our church, we we put it on the second week just to protect the Lord's table and make sure that people that are partaking it of it are real believers, because it's not for everybody. It's not to be dis, to, to be stuck any old place. Uh, and of course, newness of heart and life are necessary to the worthy partaking of the Lord's Supper. It is only for true believers who understand the gospel and have personally received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and desire to obey and follow Christ and hunger for more of Christ each and every day of their life. It's always about that. We uh, we eat every day, and and, and we get our full of food, but tomorrow's another day. We're going to feel hungry tomorrow, right? Well, it's the same spiritually. We should not just say, well, that was a great message, and I learned from it, and and that's it, that I, I think that I can live on that for a month. No, it's every day, and it's every week as we worship together with one another. So so as these scriptures make clear uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, which I provided, excuse me, verse 16, it says, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Question. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? So he's questioning there in 10 that, listen, when it comes to these things, we cannot mix them up with other things. It's got to be the Lord alone. And, of course, the rest of that passage of Scripture tells that, that context, at least. So, in other words, real Christians desire true worship, and part of that worship is the breaking of bread. So, Acts is actually giving the true picture of what God intended for his church, that is, for his people to meet together, to hear the teaching of the word of God, and then to enter into fellowship and to worship with Jesus at the center, pictured in the elements, the bread and the fruit of the vine. And why did the gathered assembly of believers now who follow Christ begin at once to begin breaking bread? Well, because of how the Lord started this ordinance, it was started at the Passover. And so the Passover was very significant in the Old Testament because the Passover was that the lamb's blood was to be shed and then the blood was to be put on the lentils of the doorposts of those in Egypt. And when the death angel came, come, came down to, to slay the firstborn, he would not slay those in whom the blood was applied and of course the angel the death angel passed over them and so Jesus actually on that holiday instituted the lord's table so that means the lord's table has a lot of significance to it all kinds of stuff is going on in the lord's table that we need to grow in our understanding of so one back then one would take a loaf of bread or bread usually unleavened bread, and break it in pieces and hand it around to others uh, to do the same, then Jesus would pour out the wine, at least he did there, and the fruit of the vine, into a cup, and he would pass it along to others who gathered for the same purpose. So in Scripture, the Bible is really telling us that in these two passages of Scripture, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and in verse 46, that this is to be done together in the gathered assembly, where it says in verse 46 of chapter 2, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. There is the context of salvation, really having relationship with God. And so again, just take your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter twenty-two, because right there is where the Lord Himself gave us this. Ordinance. Now, it's in other passages, but Luke chapter 22, verse 15 through 20, includes all the things that I've mentioned so far. In Luke 22, verse 15, it says, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So this is prior to the Lord's crucifixion. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when... He had taken a cup and given thanks. He said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. In verse 19, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So this became the practice. Today, this practice has somewhat fallen into confusion. It has fallen into the category of being mysterious. And of course, this practice also is treated somewhat archaic. And in some cases has really been emptied of its most significant meaning. But for these first believers, it was essential. It was necessary. They devoted themselves to this practice. And so I must ask, why were they? Why should we gather and break bread together? Well, they didn't get together a fact-fighting committee to decide what should be included in the worship service. No, it was already decided for them by the Lord. You see, the Lord told them to do it. So this morning I want to just consider five reasons why we should imitate these first believers concern for and devotion to the breaking of the bread. And here's the first one, and I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 25, 11:25. the first one being a very simple one, but again, it's in the text for us to follow, and that's... The first reason is to declare our obedience in the Lord's words. It says in verse number 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. So the first thing we see in this passage, it says, do this. Well, that is an imperative. It is a command for his children. So if the Lord, in which you claim to love, asks you to do something, well, your love will be demonstrated by your obedience, right? That's how it fleshed out in these new believers. They simply heard it, and they did it. And don't be like those who have a casual attitude towards the Lord's Supper. They feel that they can attend it if they want, or be absent from it if they want. However, attendance at the Lord's Supper is an obligation. It is an expression of fellowship. And not only do those who stay away rob themselves of the benefit of remembering the Lord and of fellowship with other believers, but also robbing the church body of what is entitled and is expected of them, and it's their fellowship, that we are called to fellowship with, with the Lord and with each other. So this whole idea of I can live my Christian life alone in my bedroom behind my computer is not a scriptural idea. That is a worldly, actually, idea. That's a fleshly idea. It's, it's getting together with each other that is part of how God, the means of grace God's given us to grow us. And it would be in line with the truth of Scripture to question that if a person should not desire to have fellowship with Christ and with his people at the Lord's Supper, then are they in fact in fellowship with Christ at all? See, it is a mark of real believers that they are growing in their understanding on why they ought to be there and preparing themselves beforehand. That they're preparing their heart, they're confessing their sin, they're making themselves ready to meet with the Lord and with others in partaking of the Lord's table. So the first thing is simply it's in obedience to the to the the Lord's word. Second thing uh, found in passage. Uh, if you just go back to chapter ten of First Corinthians, verse sixteen and seventeen. I already read verse sixteen, but notice what it says there. A second reason to do this is to declare our fellowship and unity. For it says in 1 Corinthians 10:16 and 17, is not the cup of blessing which we bless, a sharing in the blood of Christ, is not the bread which we break, a sharing in the body of Christ. And verse 17, since there is one bread, notice, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So in other words, it's it's really pressing the point there that there is a oneness, there is a unity that is going on, that the broken bread, the poured out wine, is a message that preserves the truth and the practical outworking of the content of the gospel. That is to drive out division, and to keep the unity that God gives us in Christ Jesus, that the Lord's table includes an expression of unified, peaceful fellowship of the gathering of a local assembly. And there are there's several things that are included when the church gathers for the Lord's Supper. The first one is there is a a mutual acceptance of one another, that each participant receives the Lord's Supper because they have a faith in Christ and in his work on the cross. So then eating the bread and drinking the fruit of the vine, they remember their Lord and give thanks for the grace God has given them. This, This particular action actually... Is an, an, an acknowledgement that those who are present, as far as one is able to judge other brothers and sisters in Christ, each one is accepting the other one as having a faith in the Lord. So there is a, a unified, mutual acceptance of one another because of what we believe and because what family that we are in now that we are believers. Secondly, there is there's among the gathered believers a mutual sameness that each stands together on level ground, meaning that all present are sinners, saved by grace through faith in Christ. It, it matters not whether they be Jew or Gentile, whether they be bond or free, rich or poor, pagan, Or barbarian whether they have red skin or yellow skin or black skin or white skin means nothing spiritually they are all equal in the eyes of the Lord and should be in the eyes of everyone in the congregation so there is the unity the uh, mutual acceptance the mutual sameness and of course again that all leads to verse 17 and that's the mutual unity one bread one body, one bread, of course, mentioning it twice there, that there is a piecemeal and we are forgiven by God and now we are not only friends of God, but we are friends of each other too. Now that means this. If you notice in Scripture, even in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, there's a lot of disunity going on. And so... If there is disunity in a church, the Lord's Supper cannot be the Lord's Supper. The bread may be eaten, the fruit of the vine may be drunk, the words of the institution may be used, but it is not the Lord's Supper. See, the expression of unity and fellowship in the Lord's Supper is a very serious matter in Scripture for all believers. And so when there is disorderliness or division in the church, these problems should be resolved before the Lord's Supper. If such things are allowed to exist and be tolerated, the Lord's Supper will only be a sham. At worst, it will be a hypocritical activity and it will be stripped of its significance and that's what we cannot happen that cannot happen in God's church so so that's why we don't necessarily have it every week either because we don't want it to become so familiar that we lose the significance of it so every once a month we partake of it and we again are reminded of the centrality of our faith in the elements the bread and of course the fruit of the vine all focused in on Christ. In other words, unity gets the whole body looking and focused in on one person, and then to focus on what he did for you, the broken bread and the poured out wine, and then to focus on what he endured for you. He was crucified, and no one else was crucified for you except him. In fact, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and he was walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then at the end of his conversation, saying all these things had to be filled, fulfilled, that were fulfilled by Moses and, and the Psalms and the, and the, and the prophet uh, were all fulfilled in him, and he was telling them they, they kind of didn't get it until they stopped at the house and they asked Jesus to stay over, and this is what happened there. Notice what the passage says. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized when by them in the breaking of bread. So in other words, it was brought vividly to their minds that it was Christ who suffered and accomplished salvation on the cross for them that they were at peace with him in the Lord's table and now were considered friends of God, not enemies of God. And that is now in their minds as believers, should be in our minds also, that we're recognizing what these elements are about. They're not just simple elements of bread and fruit of the vine, but they are focused in on a person and what he did. And that's what it always should do. And so that brings me to a third reason why we should partake of the Lord's table. And that simply is to declare our proneness to forget. Yes, to forget. To get so busy in our life, so distracted in our life. And remember, as the, the hymn says, we are prone to wander. Is that not true? We are just like sheep that are distracted by so many things and we have good intentions, but we wander off. We wander in our mind. We wander in what we do. And so the, this ordinance can reel us back in, bring us back into focus. And so that's what it says in our in the Word of God. In, in Back to 1 Corinthians 11.25. Notice what it's stressed there. It says, why I'm why are we to do this in remembrance? It says in remembrance of me. So specific me is important there. Jesus is saying, this, is, this whole, whole ordinance has to do with me. So the regular practice of the breaking of bread does prevent memory loss. We won't forget that God sent his only son into the world to do something about our flawed and helpless dilemma of which there was no rescue by ourselves in our sin. So these elements remind us that salvation is possible only in him and through him alone. And we remember that Jesus Christ at the Lord's table, we remember as blood-bought children that God caused us to see our sin, that he sobered us in taking to account the remedy for my and your sin problem, Jesus Christ. And of course, God granted you and I to submit to those terms for obtaining God's provision for your sin by repentance and faith, which also are are gifts to us by God. Because we'll, we would remain dead in our sin. We, we, we didn't have anything to uh, do anything about our condition on our own. It had to be God who did it all. And then, of course, once we become believers, God gives us his spirit to dwell in you and I and to make us willing followers of Jesus Christ. So now, every single day, your life is evidence. Should display repentance and faith in Christ, and you should start bearing fruit of now being a believer, that it, it becomes evident to yourself that you are a believer. You are a true Christian in a biblical in biblical terms, that you're not in doubt about that anymore. You are confident of that. Nobody can convince you otherwise. Why? Because you've been reading the Word of God, you've been studying Scripture, and you're at a point now where you are sober and serious about your relationship with Christ and your desire to be devoted to the things that he wants us to be devoted to, which I've been mentioning in Acts chapter 2. That would bring me to a fourth reason, and the reasons become more serious as we go, and it's this one, and found in verse number 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, to declare the Lord's death. It says, for as oft as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's what you do. That means together as a body, we are proclaiming. We are making a proclamation to each other and to others. Now, the Lord's death was not a tragedy in which brought everything everything to an end no the, his death took the sting of death which was the law and fulfilled it where it tells us in Corinthians 15 the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ it is by his death alone that we are saved so here is the message that preserves the truth of the gospel the sacrificed body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ announces the only way of salvation. And that's what we do. We come and we proclaim that when we partake of it. We proclaim it to all those who are looking on. And it seems like a strange activity to some people. Like, why do you do that? What's the significance of that? It seems awful strange. Even uh, in church history, Christians were considered to be cannibalistic because they were partaking, eating the body of Christ as people thought and not understanding what it really meant. And they were, they were actually accused of those kind of things. It was a weird and it was a strange thing. But for those who gathered together in Christ Jesus, it's not strange at all. It's, it's the center of what we believe right and and so we, many scriptures actually point us that way like second corinthians 5 verse 19 and 20 says namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and he committed to us the word of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as Though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. See, again, the death of Christ becoming significant, uh, a significant part of our salvation and without it there is no salvation and then in Romans chapter 8 verse 3 and 4 it says this I do have this on the screen it says for what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in Romans, it's just, again, focusing on that Christ being the offering for sin, that Christ becoming sin for us, who, of course, never sinned, and so the just for the unjust, so they could bring us to God. That's the whole point. So God punished Jesus for our sin, he sacrificed his body, he shed his blood, and that is why we break bread and pour out the wine, because the bread stands for the sacrificial body of Christ, and the poured out wine stands stands for the poured out blood of Christ. As I was in 1 Peter, Peter stressed the importance of that, where he says, in 1 in Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So Christ became the one who fulfilled all those Old Testament sacrifices. And remember in the Old Testament when you offer it up on the day of atonement a lamb it had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish. It had to be they they would lay their hands on it and confess their sin and then the the lamb would be off to slaughter and the shed blood would be shed on behalf of that sinner. Well all that is pictured in what the Lord did for us. So you see when we faithfully gather, we declare together to the community, to the world, that God's only way of forgiveness, the only way to be right with him is through the death of his son. And we further declare that the new agreement God made with his people has been sealed and ratified with the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus referred to the cup of wine or the fruit of the vine in 1 Corinthians 11.25. If you notice there in your Bibles, it says this, in the same way he took the cup, also after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So now He again reiterates there that there is a new covenant, a new agreement that God makes with his people. And the new covenant makes you fit to approach God and to come into his presence and to live with him eternally. And in doing so, he alludes actually to the blood of the old covenant found in Exodus chapter 24 when the Sinai Covenant had been agreed to by the people. Moses took the blood of the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he threw it on the people. And this is what it tells us in the Word of God in Exodus. It says, then he took the book of the covenant. And read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, "All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient." So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, "Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words." In other words, the covenant was ratified by blood there based on their obedience problem is they disobeyed and they broke the covenant because the covenant was based on keeping the law and the curses came upon them instead of the blessings. Now Jesus' blood actually confirmed the new covenant promise that it is true and binding to all who believe, all who obey the gospel, And that leads to the forgiveness of sins and acceptance with God. It's based on faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Much different than the Old Testament because everything was taken care of by Christ where it required faith in what was already done. Now, just to back some of that up, let's take take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Chapter 9 and 10, just a few verses there. I want you to see something, especially in the the sense that all the offerings that were, were done in the Old Testament could have never accomplished what Christ accomplished. In the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says and according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Now that is true, but then look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 9, the next chapter. It says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Then notice verse 11. It says, for and every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. In other words, that's the old, that's the first. The Lord established a second thing. And of course, a second thing is going to accomplish what the first thing could not accomplish. The sacrificial system could not accomplish salvation in the taking away of sin forever and make one right with God forever. It couldn't have done it. In fact, if you remember that there were no chairs or places to rest or take ease in the tabernacle, Or the temple because the priests were never done offering sacrifices on behalf of sinful people they had exhausting work work that was never complete and never finished now I don't know about you but work that is exhausting especially this kind of work when you don't ever complete something and you never feel fulfilled by what you're doing. That's exhausting in and of itself. So these priests, they went home knowing that this whole process is going to have to go through the next day, the next year, the next month. And it was by 50 years old, they were done. Right? They were on the, on, on the B team because they were so worn out from all these sacrifices. See, that's what sin does. It wears you out because you can never be done with it. You can never do anything to erase it or eliminate it from your heart and your life to the point where you are satisfied that it would make you right with God. It could never happen. We could have never done that. But if you're right there in the text, notice notice the the wonderful thing that is recorded in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. It says, But he... Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So is our salvation secured? You better believe it is. It is secured forever, eternally it is secure. Why did he sit? Why did Jesus sit? Because the work was done. The task of redeeming and cleansing a people for God was complete. He sat down where the priest could never sit down. So you see these new believers regularly met together for the breaking of bread in order to declare his death and all that entailed, and every time we hear the word of God, we just build on that knowledge, which should establish our faith and make us strong, serious, sober, regular, and continuous Christians. That we, we there's nothing that's going to break our stride. Uh, we we know what to do. We know what Christ has done, and it's confident in our heart of what He's done, and just makes us just want to have a resolve to. Do, no matter if nobody else is doing it, I'm doing it because this is what the Word of God tells me, and I'm convinced by it because it is the truth. And then there's one last thing, one last reason to, back to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, there's one last reason to partake of the Lord's table. Now, there could be other ones, but as far as this, the text is concerned, and that's simply this we not only proclaim the gospel, but we. Declare our Lord's return. It says in the passage, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Lord's table points forward to Christ's sure return. Just as Jesus' sacrifice was sure, his return will be sure. He is coming. No matter what, When we get to 2 Peter, you you find that the scoffers, you know what they say? When is he coming? I don't see that he's coming. Look at the world. Nothing's changed since the beginning of time. It's all the same. So this Christianity is a bunch of baloney. There's nothing true, and it's just another religious whatever. Well, it's not true. What is true is that the Lord did what he did and finished it, and he's coming. So we sit at the Lord's table, and we declare on behalf of Christ in his return. We shout to the world that we believe in a future day when we shall eat and drink with Christ in his eternal kingdom. That's what I I say every time I use this passage of Scripture In Matthew 26, 29, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus Christ will come back to this earth. He will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will come riding on the clouds of heaven, surrounded by innumerable hosts of holy angels and redeemed saints. And why is he coming? Well, Acts tells us, chapter 3, for the restitution of all things, that Christ will come back and reconstruct the universe. And and the Greek word used there is the word to place things back in their former condition. Now, why must he do this? Well, the fall of man into sin brought chaos upon humanity and upon the whole universe. The universe was cursed because of Adam's sin and rebellion, and yes, because of our sin and rebellion. So when the curse came, it brought disease, it brought thorns, it brought briars, it brought wars, it brought murders, and all kinds of social disorders, it brought earthquakes and hurricanes, and a wearing down of the whole creation, that's what it brought, that's what sin has done to this world. So when God sends his Christ, his son, again into the world, he will send him back to put things right. Messiah was led. He will lead the whole universe from, from bondage to paradise. In Christ, it will be delivered and it will be restored. Like Romans 8.21, it says that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of, of the glory of the children of God. Even creation is waiting for that day when he will come back and do that. So if you believe in the imminent return of Christ and all the apostles did, because you know what? Knowing Christ could come back at any time, what does it make us do? It makes us get ready. We're getting ready for the presence of God. Are you getting ready? If he comes tomorrow, will you be ready? See, see, that's it. Every day ought to be that we are getting ready. Because you know what? If you believe that in the imminent return of Christ, then you will live differently. You will live each day before already before the eyes of him in whom you are ultimately responsible. That the Lord in his infinite wisdom, has designed this ordinance to have beneficial effects on the believer who participates in it, that the participants that come to the Lord's table are to come with a growing understanding of what they are doing and why they are coming. Some some of you have a good understanding of this ordinance, Others may have never heard what the Bible teaches on this subject, and still others have not yet grasped the importance of the ordinance. But brethren, I would like to admonish you not to absent yourself when the breaking of bread is offered in this assembly. I often ask in our membership class, one of the questions is, is is it sin Is it sin to keep yourself from the Lord's table? And there's usually never an answer yes, no, right away. It's usually a pause. Because people don't know how to answer that question. They don't know how to answer it. Of course, there's some things to consider in answering the question. But once you consider those things, you would have to say, God set everything up before the Lord's table, so you take care of everything you have to and then partake. Don't absent yourself from the Lord's table. That's the point. Be there because that's part of worship. So let us, all purpose, as a church body, to covet in together, to be devoted to faithfully and regularly partaking the breaking of bread, so as to pour, to actually to put our Lord Jesus Christ's death And his return on display, the unity of his church on display, and the gospel on display. So there is a seriousness and a soberness connected to the Lord's Supper. There is also a joy connected to it. It would be strange if a person went into a rose garden merely to look at the thorns. it would be strange it would be bizarre in fact it is the rose which brings a delight to the sight it is it is the rose that brings a sweet smell to the nose and it's in in, in the same way there is a joy in remembering the Lord in his death, in recalling his great love toward us and remembering his sacrifice on the cross. There is a joy in realizing that our sins are forgiven, that there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a a joy of recollecting all that has been accomplished by our Lord through the cross. There is a joy in renewing our pledge of devotion to him To whom we owe so much. There is a joy in imparting ourselves and our fellowship to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not denying them that. There is a joy knowing that being faithful in this regard. Pleases our Lord. And brings glory to his name. And at the same time protects the unity of the body and the peace of the body. That's what it does. That's what our job is. So to just think of this thing as no big deal, I can take it or leave it, is is wrong. So brethren, when, when it is time to partake of the Lord's Supper, be present. Be sober. Be joyful. And... Be mindfully prepared to proclaim the gospel because you have embraced the gospel and to make yourself ready for Christ's coming because it could be at that moment. It could be tomorrow. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. It makes us ready. So real Christians desired true worship They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Next time, I will look at the next one, and that is to the prayers. Also, a definite article in the Greek connected to that. But next week, our own Elder Greg Ho is going to be preaching next week. I will be here, but Khalif and myself are going to be going to a pastor's conference in Florida. Actually, we leave as soon as we're done here. And so um, we'll, we'll be there till Friday. So we'll, I'll be back, and, but he'll be, be praying for uh, Elder Greg Ho as he prepares for his message. And I always enjoy when he preaches. And all God's people said what? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again. You have been so kind to us. Lord, our faith is so rich The depth of the knowledge of what you have done is, is, we can't even reach the bottom of it. But Lord, I I just pray, Lord, every single time you would be building this panoramic picture in our mind of the great work of God. And that, Lord, it would only increase our faith. It It would only give us a joy in our heart. And it would give us a desire to want to tell others who don't know it yet. Lord, please work in our heart. Let us be faithful to the things that are are very basic to Christianity and are so foundational to our our spiritual growth. And I pray as we do that, Lord, we would learn to please you because when we do that, we know it pleases you. And so we want to cast our care upon you this morning because you care for us. Guard our heart and mind with your peace and let the joy of the Lord be our strength. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.